You're now listening to a Bingeful Brain podcast, the show that teaches simple neuroscience-based strategies to ending binge eating, overeating, and emotional eating through the inside-out understanding of your habits. I'm Natalia, your host, and I'm here to help you create wellness without the obsession. Let's get started. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Binge Proof Brain podcast. In today's episode, we are going to talk about self-directed neuroplasticity, HEPs law, quantum xeno effect. We are going to talk even about one of the episodes of the Doctor Who, which is a TV show. And I'm going to discuss how you can apply all of those concepts in your day-to-day life so that you can overcome your binge eating disorder. But first, I would like to show the appreciation for everybody who rated or reviewed this show. So recently, the amount of followers who listen to this podcast on Spotify slightly increased, and it's probably because some of you left me a five-star rating on Spotify. And thanks to you, more and more people can listen to this podcast and can, and that podcast helps them to overcome their eating disorder. So that's my ultimate goal so that more people can achieve food freedom. And it is thanks to you. So you just clicking the five stars uh, on the podcast app, it really helps me a lot. So thank you so much. So in today's episode, we are going to focus on quantum Zeno effect, but I think that it would be preferable if you would also listen to my previous podcast episodes, especially the one where we talked about free will, which is called, is binge eating your fault? But also the podcast episode called brain versus mind, where we discussed the differences I see in mind versus brain, and we also discussed the problem with consciousness. So I think that in order to fully understand today's podcast episode, it would be good if you would be familiar with what we talked about in those other podcast episodes. Let's start with something that almost everybody is familiar with, and it is neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity can be defined as the ability of nervous system, and more specifically neural networks, to change its connections. So neurons will respond to stimuli and reorganize themselves, reorganize their structure or function. So almost everything in our life is due to neuroplasticity. All that we've learned throughout our life was uh, possible thanks to neuroplasticity. But I want to show you that there are good and sort of not so good examples of neuroplasticity. Thanks to scientific research, we know that taxi drivers in London, they have uh, significantly more gray matter volume in the part of the hippocampus that is responsible for recalling visual spatial information. And that's important for taxi drivers. They do need to know the map, where something is and how to get there. So that totally makes sense. Another example of neuroplasticity would be the fact that right now I talk to you in English. When I was little, I was taught Polish. So my primary language was Polish. However, thanks to neuroplasticity, I acquired the ability to speak in English as well. If you are a musician, it's possible that your auditory cortex 
is shaped slightly differently than mine because I, for example, cannot see the difference between maybe some specific notes or sequence of notes. However, you are you you've learned because maybe you are a professional musician. You've learned how to um, distinguish those notes. Another example of positive neuroplasticity would be the fact that some people can regain their skills even after the stroke. So thanks to rehabilitation, they are able to rewire their brain so that they can the parts of their body can regain their function even if it was lost due to a stroke. Unfortunately, neuroplasticity has also its dark side. So examples of the dark side of neuroplasticity would be something like neuropathic pain, trauma, PTSD, comfort eating, different addictions. Negative plasticity could describe any learning that consists of some kind of incorrect association, maladaptive response. It could be unhelpful habit or limiting belief. And a key part of neuroplasticity is HEP's law. And it can be summarized as cells that fire together, wire together. So if two neurons are active at the same time, the synapses between them are strengthened. How we can visualize the situation that that can happen in the brain? Well, what I would like you to do is to visualize yourself in the forest. And let's say that there's already well-established hiking route. And hiking trails are kind of similar to the brain pathways. So at the beginning, hiking trail probably was just a grass, but the more people walked it, you know, it flattened and it became more pronounced. So maybe right now you are in this forest and there is a hiking trail, but maybe you don't like it. You believe that there could be a better uh, trail. So what we c- you could do is you could walk through the grass. And the more often you would walk through that grass, that grass would become a well-worn pathway. And maybe there are also other uh, faint trails made by small animals. So even though uh, there is this one pathway and mostly people will take this well-pronounced pathway, there are also other pathways and you could travel this less pronounced pathway and in that way, they would be well-worn because if you would walk it every day, you know, you would make this, uh, this pathway. I hope that you understand this <laughs> metaphor. Anyways, in the context of eating disorders, how I want you to see that is that when you walked in the forest, this certain pathway, like it, it becomes more easy to get into that pathway because that pathway becomes... It's just good. It's just nice and comfy to walk through that pathway. Maybe also other people notice that this is a good pathway, so they will enter it more often. So in your brain, if you do certain action, maybe you establish certain habit, you create a neural pathway. And the more often you engage with that pathway, the more pronounced it becomes. And example in context of eating disorders would be the fact that maybe you associate certain foods with urges and with binge eating. So let's say that at some point in your life, you were dieting hard and you had this natural response to search for high calorie foods because your body was in the famine mode. So 
already it was hyper-focused on looking for those high-calorie foods. So let's say that one day you gave in and you decided to eat those foods. And you paid a lot of attention to that because probably you you were beating yourself up, you were full of shame, like this was a strong um, event that evoked in you many negative emotional responses. But actually your brain, your body was very happy because finally it got what it wanted. So finally it received a load of calories that it needed uh, due to this prolonged dieting. So when you ate those foods, maybe it led to binge. It caused a huge reward in your brain, in the reward pathways in your brain. So now your brain associates food with reward. And the more often it happens, the more often you binge, the more you teach your brain to relieve that urge to binge with food. And it can be a very similar situation with emotional eating, comfort eating, stress eating, because at some point when you relieve that those emotions with food, your brain develops this automatic and unhealthy response to stress. So every time it is stress, it wants to relieve that stress with food. And there's a difference between neuroplasticity and self-directed neuroplasticity. Because as you can see, neuroplasticity happens whether you want it or not. It can be beneficial or it can be in a way harmful. When brain is left to its own devices it will take the path of least resistance. It will want to stay in a comfort zone. It will try to conserve energy, avoid pain, seek pleasure, especially when you don't have any goals, when you don't direct your brain into the uh, direction you want to go. And that's the difference between neuroplasticity versus self-directed neuroplasticity. Because self-directed neuroplasticity is all about consciously and intentionally changing your own brain activities and strengthening neural connections that you want to have strengthened. So you take advantage of the mechanism called neuroplasticity. You can leverage it to your own benefits. As I said before, in order for neuroplasticity to occur, the Hebb's law needs to be working. And it works only when the brain areas involved in that task are activated and they stay active at the same time. So the question is, what keeps the brain areas activated long enough so that Hebb's law can work? Well, this is exactly what today's episode is all about. Uh, But before that, uh, I need to make a small remark (laughs) that some people speculate that brain may be working like a quantum computer. And even uh, even if brain doesn't work as a quantum computer, it's possible that the quantum effects might still happen in the brain and they might have an effect on brain processes. So one of those one of those quantum processes, quantum effects, could be the quantum Zeno effect. So the quantum Zeno effect is responsible for stabilizing neural connections in the brain so that they can fire together and wire together, which is the effect of Hebb's law. So you can stabilize those neural connections via 
focused attention. So, you know, your mind, the mind I discussed in the episode brain versus mind. So this mind can utilize the quantum Zeno effect. Where you focus your attention, that's your free will. Your attention can impact neural connections and can help you um, to make those neuroplastic changes that you want to, to have. So how can we explain the quantum Zeno effect in the simplest way? So in the simplest way, the quantum system cannot change while you are watching it. I think that it's connected to the observer effect, that the act of looking at something changes it. So I don't fully understand the physics behind it, but I think it's because particles can also act like waves and the collapse of the wave function happens when you observe it. <laughs> okay, again, I, I don't fully understand it. I just grasped the concept and now I see how we can leverage it. Anyways, maybe you've heard proverb called the watched pot never boils. And you use it when you want to describe a situation, when you, for example, anxiously wait for something and it seems like time slowed down. So even this is just a proverb. I think that some physicists use it and they call it the watched pot never boils effect. <laughs> it's basically the same as quantum Zeno effect. It means that if we were able to watch every single atom within a pot of water, then it would actually never boil. Because when you observe it, you sort of measure it rapidly and it locks a system into a single state. So it cannot change its state. It cannot move. So theoretically, the pot would never boil. But it's all theoretically because we don't have devices that could measure every single particle in that pot. Let me give you another great example. And I'm very happy because as a fan of Doctor Who, finally, I found a way to talk about it in the podcast. <laughs> By the way, tell me, what do you think about the new doctor? Did you enjoy Jodie Whittaker as a doctor? And have you heard that maybe for like episode or two, David Tennant will be back in the next season. <laughs> How exciting. I think that um, they're gonna like mess up with time. Therefore, the previous doctor will just come back for a moment. I don't know really, but uh, I just saw that they found a footage that David Tennant is doing something with the next season of Doctor Who. <laughs> Anyways, what I wanted to talk about is the episode of the Doctor Who called Blink. So in this episode, there were villains and villains were whipping angels. And whipping angels are like stone statues and they are interdimensional hunters, predators. So in general, they, they are villains, but they look like a stone statues. And the thing was that when, when they are observed by another creature, like they cannot move. But however, if you do not look at them, they can move very quickly and silently. <laughs> so in other words, when somebody observes them, they must occupy a single position in space. I think that this ability in this show was called something like quantum lock. So in order to survive in the show, you had to maintain eye contact with angels and observe them. Otherwise, if you would blink, 
you, um, yeah, they would move and they would attack you. So in this case, in case of whipping angels, your eye is a measuring device that locks particles in one place. And in case of angels, you know, they became stone statues. So I think that is the best example of the quantum Zeno effect that is available to us in a pop culture. So this is how people understand the quantum uh, Zeno effect. But your question may be, what does this quantum Zeno effect have to do with neuroplasticity and you eliminating your unwanted habits? Well, it is proposed that attention stabilizes brain circuits so that neurons can fire together and wire together. So, of course, to break or build any habit, you need neuroplasticity. So to weaken neural pathways associated with unwanted habits and strengthen those that support wanted habits, you need to put Hebb's law in action. So your focused attention can hold together and stabilize brain circuits so that they can fire and wire together. To change wiring of your brain, you need to lock activated neural pathways for long enough for them to fire together. And of course, that needs to happen repetitively as well. And that's the example how your mind can physically change your brain by using your attention. So when you repetitively focus your attention on specific thoughts, sensations, behaviors, Hebb's law and the quantum Zeno effect can rewire your brain. So let me ask you, what do you pay attention to? Do you constantly body check in your mirror and do you have those negative body image thoughts? Do you constantly ask yourself, oh my God, how stupid I am? How could I have done that? Why I did that? And so on. Do you obsess over what's in your fridge? Do you fantasize all the time about comfort food? Do you enter binge eating habit loop whenever you feel stress? So do you use your attention to enhance healthy behaviors or does your attention create and strengthen brain circuits associated with unwanted habits, thoughts, and sensations. And the most important question is, how can you use quantum Zeno effect to rewire binge eating habit? Well, the answer is quite simple. You can use your attention to determine which habits you would prefer to stay and which ones you would like to let go of. As you know from the previous episodes, your brain produces thoughts, impulses, cravings, urges. So what you have to do is you have to separate yourself from the experience you're having. Those are just thoughts. Those are just feelings that you are the observer. So you have to separate yourself from from things that your brain produces because you are not your brain. When all of those urges, impulses appear, you need to use your veto power. You need to dismiss Um, destructive messages from your brain, you need to dismiss those urges and then turn your attention away from deceptive brain messages and direct it towards things that are more helpful and meaningful to you, things that are aligned with your personal values. Your mind with its conscious intentions 
in principle, can influence brain activity through quantum processes like quantum Zeno effect. I think that even William James, who probably didn't even know about quantum physics, he had a feeling that all of human free will is the ability to pay attention or not to pay attention to the ideas that are just popping into your brain, popping into your mind through the brain. So uh, if you don't know, William James was very influential, a 19th century philosopher, psychologist. Some people would even call him the father of modern psychology. So he believed that thought processes are the result of brain activity, but you as a person, you still have free will. Even though you do not choose which thoughts pop into your brain, you have free will because you have the ability to choose where to put your uh, attention on. And right now I'm going to read you a quote from him. No object can catch our attention except by the neural machinery. But the amount of attention which an object receives after it has caught our mental eye is another question. It often takes an effort to keep the mind upon it. We feel that we can make more or less of the effort as we choose. It will deepen and prolong the state in consciousness of innumerable ideas which else would fade more quickly away. So in other words, what's my interpretation? I know that the human brain can process 11 billion bits per second of information from the environment. But our brain filters the information and it presents only 50 bits of information to the conscious mind. So with our free will, we can decide on attention density. So the more attention we put to something, the more brain believes that it's important and it will prioritize the information later. So when we pay attention to something, that's when neuroplasticity happens as well. So putting it into the context of eating disorders, ideas will pop into your mind like, I want peanut butter. I don't want to get up from couch. I'm too stressed. I deserve a pint of ice cream. And you have a choice. You have free will to pay attention to that, to that idea or to let it fade away. So thoughts come to our mind from the brain. And those are, you know, all of those things that we talked about in the previous episode, like conditioned thoughts, automatic responses, mental habit, personalized, contaminated thinking. All of this comes from the brain. However, your mind can apply attention. So when you sustain attention, thanks to the quantum Zeno effect, active neurons are locked into place and neurons that fire together have more time to wire together and therefore your brain rewires itself via self-directed um, neuroplasticity because you decided to pay attention to something or not. Let's take a real-life example. You're sitting on your couch and there's idea popping into your mind. Let's order pizza. So, of course, there's nothing wrong with it. Many times our or I ordered pizza and it was fantastic experience. But let's say that in this situation, you already ate your five meals that day. You already feel pretty full. 
but you are also stressed and you would like to just buffer with food, you just want to have another episode of hedonistic eating, which in your case just means that you would like to binge eat on that pizza. So in that moment, it's not the best idea. So what you can do? Let's say that again, that idea pops into your mind. Let's order pizza. Now you have a moment to react to those thoughts or to do not react to them. So when you start paying attention to that thought, it proliferates. Probably you start having more thoughts about it. Like, oh, what time is it? What kind of pizza could I have? Should I put a pineapple on my pizza? Where's the number to the place where where they sell pizzas? <laughs> you know, you have more thoughts about it. And because feelings reflect our thinking, Therefore, it's not only thinking that you react to, but also you start to notice that you have uh, physical sensations of cravings. And then just a couple of seconds later, the idea transforms into action. You just take your phone and you order pizza. But in the initial moment, you had also other choice. You could pay attention to that thought, but you could also ignore it. You could see that, hey, This is not my idea. This is just my brain producing thoughts. This is just a mental habit that every time I sit on a couch, I think about eating something. This thought doesn't mean anything, especially that you already know that you are pretty full. So what you can do is you can also redirect your attention. So when you stop paying attention to that thought, that thought will start fading away. And... uh, the more often you ignore these kind of ideas, the probability that they will show up again, it decreases because you are not reacting to those thoughts. Therefore, your brain doesn't see the sense to produce those thoughts again. And in that way, you apply some quantum Zeno effect to this neural pathway responsible for not acting on craving. So now the pathway responsible for dismissing those thoughts gets strengthened. So as you can see, all of your life choices are a result of you choosing to sustain your attention on something or letting that idea fade away. And many times in my life, I've heard the analogy for living life as uh, driving a vehicle. You know, the coaches would ask you like, who's in the passenger and who's the driver of the vehicle? And in that way, they wanted to show you the analogy of your life that you should, uh, you know, be responsible. You should be the driver of your own life. Anyways, I'm a horse rider. So I would like to slightly change this analogy to uh, riding a horse. So instead of like driving a vehicle, I want you to imagine yourself riding a horse. So horse is your brain. And you don't really control what's going to happen. Horse can react to the environment or ignore some things. Horse is separate from you, but you can use the horse to travel through life. And all you have is reins and also other aids, but let's say that you have reins. You can slightly control where horse pays attention to. So when the horse is spooked, it's spooked. Like you can panic about it or you could try to calm it down, but you don't control whether a horse gets spooked or not. So you don't exactly control what the horse does. 
You can only control your reaction to what the horse does or doesn't do. <laughs> of course, it's not a perfect analogy, but think about it. How do you ride your horse? Do you feel secure? Do you try to find a common language with your horse? Do you want to create good horsemanship? Or maybe you complain to the instructor that the horse doesn't want to cooperate, that it's lazy. So you're kicking it and kicking it and it still doesn't do anything. It still doesn't respond to your commands. Horse may see you as a pleb who just sits at the bottom of the hierarchy. <laughs> so to summarize, riding a horse, very hard. Riding a life, oh, even harder. <laughs> okay, uh, one quick story I'm going to tell you is that every time I come back from my horse riding, I tell my boyfriend about my ride, especially um, a ride on like a new horse. Uh, and he's always impressed by horse's psychology. I think that it's because of the way I try to tell him how I interacted with that horse. Um, because I have a strong tendency to anthropomorphize animals and their behavior. So probably that's why he sees them as a very complicated creatures with their complicated psychology. <laughs> But I swear to God, every time I interact with horses or other animals, like I'm always so impressed how different they are, how different personality traits they may possess. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Um, anyways, you are done probably listening to me. If you are confused after today's podcast episode, well, I'm confused too. <laughs> But I'm wondering if you have any questions, if you have any concerns, you can always uh, message me on Instagram if you're interested in that topic. Uh, again, I may not explain things properly. So if I would knew, if I would know Uh, you know, where you feel stuck, what concept you don't understand, then I could revisit it in the future podcast episodes. Anyway, thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you have some real takeaways from today that you are going to apply in your life. Thank you so much for listening and see you in the next podcast episode. Bye! If you enjoyed today's podcast episode and you would like to stay in touch with me, make sure to follow Bingeproof Brain on Instagram. And if you are ready to take this material to the next level and apply what you've learned, then go ahead and submit your coaching application for my Bingeproof Brain coaching program. Thank you so much for joining me today and have a great day. Bye!